The following is a For the City Church sermon. We hope you enjoy it. What I want us to do is look, look at a passage today in Hebrews chapter 12. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 that points us to the hope we have in Christ. And more specifically, if you're taking notes in the middle of your map, by the way, if you want to open that up, there are some pla- there's a place to take notes. Uh, you can see what we're going to be talking about a little bit today and so forth. Uh, but more specifically, how faith, if there's a big idea, it's this, how faith endures through hope in God. How faith endures through hope in God. So we're going to be looking at that today, all right? Looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. So as you're turning there and as you're looking at those two verses, let me say, as we have seen in Ecclesiastes, as we look around us, I mean, it, it doesn't take a lot to look around us personally and globally, okay, uh, to know that we're, it's a wreck. <laughs> um, it's very easy to lose heart. I know opening up my phone today, even before I was preaching, because I usually drink a cup of coffee, look at the news, whatever it may be, and I just had to put the news away. Because I'm just thinking, right then as I look at the news, I'm drinking my coffee, I'm, I'm already losing heart. I'm already getting sad with all the brokenness and evil and ungodliness and, and throughout the world. And then, not only that, but when I think about my own sin or how I've been sinned against or my own circumstances of life, um, I, I can, we can, I can, I know I can, very easily uh, lose heart, lose hope, uh, get discouraged by, once again, the brokenness of this world expressed through our own sin, uh, the sin of others, ungodliness, once again, evil throughout the world. Uh, so the battle for faith, church, in Christ, the battle for faith, because it is a battle, the battle for faith and hope in this life, in the midst of all this brokenness, is real. It's a real battle. But you and I need faith. We need enduring faith. To have hope and not lose heart. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. You see, not only is faith needed to be saved from God's wrath, not only do you need faith and I need faith to be saved, to be justified before a holy God, to be saved from the, the wrath that is to come, but we need faith to live right now, right? Are you with me? To not lose heart. We need an enduring faith. I know I do. So one of the reasons I thought about this passage about a month ago was, I was, many of you know I drive a FedEx truck, and so in the mornings, it's a part-time gig, so I do part-time FedEx delivery in the morning, basically nine to two, then I come home to church work and things like that, all right? So part-time FedEx, part-time church. So in the morning, once I dispatch my truck, I'm there for, once again, nine to two all by myself, and for you guys that know me, sometimes that's pretty nice. I like to be by myself, right? And, but then other times, I get to a point where I'm on the same route every single day from 9 to 2, and I begin to just think about stuff, right? Just get in my own head, right? Start thinking about my circumstances, my past, my present, my future. Ah, oh, quit, Kevin, stop thinking, right? And so about a month ago, I was doing that. And I was getting depressed. <laughs> and and uh, some of you don't understand that. You don't really, uh, it's not that you don't think. Uh, it's just uh, you don't get in your head as much as people like me. Okay? But you still, you look at your circumstances. And as you look at your circumstances, sometimes it gets depressing. And you lose heart and you get discouraged. Don't you? Well, I was doing that about a month ago. And um, the Lord began to just bring this scripture to mind. In my life, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and following, and what comes before. And I just began to listen to worship music. I began to just listen during that four to five hour period, began to just put in scripture. And I tell you what, just about instantly over the next day or two, my, my heart began to be encouraged. And whatever I was losing in, in hope and in heart, God was beginning to restore and to help me. So thank God for that. 
But we all have those situations, don't we, where we're looking at sin or suffering or our circumstances and we get discouraged, we lose heart, we lose hope. And so we, we need enduring faith that, that helps us get to the end of this race that we're about to talk about. You know, Jesus actually challenged his disciples to not lose heart in Luke chapter 18. By asking the rhetorical question, he said, will I find faith in this world when I come back? Well, even though the answer is yes, he will find faith. Uh, we're not trying to answer that question today, but we are trying to answer the question, how does faith endure through hope in God while we wait for his return? The battle's real. So after we read Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, we're going to be looking and launching the sermon from verse 1, all right? And we're going to say verse 2 for part two of the sermon that I'm going to be preaching in August. So it's a little two-part sermon series. Verse 1 today, verse 2 in August, all right? So let's look at verse 1 from like 30,000 feet, right? Let's look at it from 30,000 feet and then drop down to take a closer look afterwards uh, and by the way, if you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, it's called Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians that have been dispersed throughout the region because of persecution, whatever it may be. And guess what? At one point, they had great faith. They had great joy. They were, and we're going to see from today, uh, once again, enduring faith, hope in God. But now they're wavering. They're getting discouraged. They're losing heart. They're, they're being persecuted because of sin and, and being sinned against and persecution, suffering. They're beginning to lose heart. So he's writing, the writer of Hebrews is writing and encouraging and challenging, don't lose heart. Have enduring faith. You can make it is what's happening. So that's a little bit of a summary of Hebrews. So once again, verses one through two, read with me. Starting with verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray real quickly. Father, we just ask that as we think about your word, meditate on your word, um, as we enjoy it, Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would help us to see very clearly the gospel. Help us see very clearly you and all the promises therein. God, would you help us to see today and therefore have faith and hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, the, I keep saying look because if you look in your map, okay, there is the word look at the top, all right? The word look. Um, the reason I start with the word look is because, once again, a month ago, where was I looking? when I was losing heart, getting discouraged, losing hope. Well, I wasn't looking at, to God. <laughs> I wasn't looking at his word. I was looking within me. I was looking at every place except for God, the gospel, um, and I was looking at circumstances. I was looking at my past, looking, looking, right? And so what we're going to see today in the passages that we're talking about is look and seeing with the eyes of faith is a big deal, all right? So what I want us to do first is as we look at uh, verses 1 through 2, um, let me first paint a general picture of what he's talking about, and then we'll get into some of the words that are in verse 1, all right? So uh, some of you don't know this, but I'm, I'm a runner. I like to run, okay, 5Ks, 10Ks. Not this year because FedEx has got me, you know, exhausted. Uh, but normally I like to run. And so this is a picture, verse 1, of a coliseum, of a stadium of sorts, all right? Now, this is a metaphor, right, an analogy. But this is a, what he's giving to us is a picture of all of us 
running a race in this Colosseum called the race of faith, and there are spectators all around us. There are people cheering us on. He calls them witnesses. So great a cloud of witnesses. And he says, because of these witnesses, all right, he, he gives us two imperatives, two commands. He says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. So whenever I was running a 5K or 10K, all right, when I first started, I was uh, not very good at it. Um, but as I began to learn how to um, have better footwear, let go of some of the things, maybe lighter clothing, as I began to think, as I began to just really work out and so forth, uh, as I began to, even as I began to envision the course that I was going to, like the five mile in Butler, for example, I would envision the race course. I would, I would see it in my mind's eye, right? I would see the end and I would just think about, hmm, this is what I have to do, looking at the end, uh, with the end in mind, this is what I have to do to, to succeed, to finish the race, to run the race with endurance. So I had to lay aside weights. I had to think about what I was going to be doing. I had to think about the end in mind. And this is what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to do. He's trying to help us to believe, have faith with the end in mind. And not only that, whenever I was running that five mile in Butler, one of the things that really encouraged me were people that were cheering you on. Now, these people didn't know me from Adam, but guess what? There were people lined up with little things of water and lemonade and things like that, and they were saying, go, 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 right? And so this is what's happening in Hebrews chapter one. He's painting a picture and saying that all of you and me are in a, in a race called faith in this life, faith in God, and there, we are surrounded by these witnesses, these spectators of faith that are cheering us on saying, you can do it, you can do it. And not only that, he's saying that you need to believe with the end in mind. And we're going to be finishing that up in August. But he's really encouraging and challenging us as we run the race of faith in this life to press on, to fight to look at the, the, the witnesses that are around us, the witnesses of faith that have come before us, to lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and run the race of faith with endurance. Hope in God, believing with the end in mind. So this is the picture that he is painting in verse one. All right? So once again, uh, 5K and 10K is hard stuff. It was, uh, I tried to do more than that, can't do more than that, but I, but I tell you this, uh, there were certain things that I learned along the way to help me run with more and more endurance. And one of those things was not just the spectators, but looking above my circumstances and looking with the end in mind. Thinking about, no, I see it, I know I can do it, I can get there. Because if all I'm doing in a five and 10K race if all I'm doing is looking at, oh gosh, there's another hill. <laughs> oh gosh, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, okay? And if, if I'm just looking at whatever's right in front of me, whether it's my circumstances or whatever it may be, okay, I'm gonna lose heart. I'm gonna get discouraged. If I think, oh my gosh, I have four more miles to run, I can't do this. So it depends on where I'm looking. If I'm looking around me, I can lose heart and get discouraged. If I can look at what's ahead of me in a way of saying, oh, look at the hills, look at the four miles, I can get discouraged and lose heart in a race. But if I just keep looking with the end in mind, many and oftentimes that gets me through a five-mile race. So this is what he's doing. In your race of faith, he's encouraging and challenging us, run with endurance. You know, there's a difference between spiritual sight and physical sight. Physical sight, because here's what the Bible says, uh, to walk by faith and not by sight. So, so walking by faith looks like spiritual sight. Looking or walking by regular sight is natural sight, right? So what he's basically saying is that don't walk by physical and natural sight. Walk by the eyes of faith. This is what it takes to endure this earthly life. 
See, faith is seeing. Faith is looking. Not just seeing, but it's also receiving the promises of God by faith. So when we're, when we're talking, that's the reason I use the word look at the very, very beginning. Because faith is all about raising your eyes from your sin and circumstances and suffering and seeing who God is for you in and through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what looking's about. This is what seeing's about. And seeing him and seeing his promises, that will get us through. That'll help build endurance for this race of faith in the earthly life. Church, if we're going to have faith that endures the race that is set before us, because each of you have a race that you're running. Each of you has a a race that God has set before you that you're running. And some of you have fairly easy race that you're running, but some of you are going through a very, very difficult, complicated uh, times in your life. And it's very easy to lose heart and get discouraged. But I want you to know, we have to believe with the end in mind. We have to have our faith, have to have faith that endures through hope in God. Because he's the only one that can get us through. We have to lift our heads and fix our eyes. Fix our sight on the end which is God himself and all that he's prepared and secured for us in Christ. So what I want us to do is as we're talking about looking, what we're going to do is we're going to look back in order to look forward because that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing in verse 1. He's saying, therefore, since you were surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses for faith, lay aside everything that keeps you from running with enduring faith. Lay aside sin, lay aside whatever it is that keeps you from running, lay it aside. And the very first thing you need to do is look back and look at these witnesses of faith that are surrounding you, cheering you on as you run the race of faith. So we're going to look back in order to look forward, all right, in hope today. So let's look back. Once again, in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews starts uh, chapter 12 with the word therefore, which once again causes us to look back at what has come before. Namely, what he brings about, starting with uh, chapter 10, verse 19, is the foundation that forms the basis of his challenge to run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, in chapter 10, verse 19, the writer's purpose is very clear. He starts encouraging and challenging the Hebrew Christians and us to draw near to God with full assurance of faith and to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because once again, because of sin and suffering and persecution, some of these Hebrew Christians have lost sight of their salvation. They've lowered their gaze, they've lowered their eyes to their circumstances over a long period of time, and they are losing heart. They are starting to waver. They have forgotten the gospel. They have lost heart. They're wavering, they're turning back, it says. Back to religion. You'll hear the, you'll see all throughout Hebrews where the writer is saying, don't turn back. Why? Jesus is better. He's superior. Why would you, after experiencing salvation through Christ, why would you go back and try to earn God's approval through the law? Why would you do this? Because it's easy. Easier. So he says, don't don't turn back to religion. I'm sure some of them were turning back to irreligion, meaning um, they're saying, well, forget all of it. (laughs) I'm just going to Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow I die. See, they're, they're wavering. They're turning back either to religion or irreligion. And he's saying, no, you can make it hang on. Don't forget the gospel. Don't lose heart. But they are losing heart. That's why the writer starts by injecting them with some high-octane gospel truth. 
high-octane gospel truth. He writes, look at verse 19. Turn with me, chapter 10, verse 19. As we look back, he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You see, the first thing he wants you to look back to, the one thing he's wanting them to look back to is the fuel that drives faith. That's, your, that's point number one in your map. To the fuel, as you look back, as you are losing heart in this life, as you look at, if you get like me, if you're in your FedEx truck and you've got four hours to kill and you're going on your route and, you're, and you get into your head and you're looking at your circumstances, you're looking within yourself, you're looking at your past, you're looking at all these things, and you're losing heart, then look back to the fuel that drives faith, namely, the gospel itself. One thing that you're gonna hear from our church over and over again, hopefully, Lord willing, is that before we tell you to do anything, like obedience, we're gonna first base that on the mercies of God and the gospel. We're not gonna ask you to just pull up your pull up yourself by your own bootstraps and just, you know, justify yourself before God and, and to do the religious thing and do the church thing and, and be a better Christian. We're not going to ask you to do that. Now, we're going to call you to obedience. We're going to call you to faith. But all of that is based on the gospel. All of that is based on the mercies of God. Paul says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, upon the mercies of God. And then he, in chapter 12 of Romans, he then says, do this, do this, and do this. Based on the mercies of God. See, this is the fuel. The mercies of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the fuel that drives faith. And so what did I do a month ago when I'm in my FedEx truck and I'm losing heart? I go back to the basics. I look back to the gospel. I look back to my salvation. I look back to the, the wonderful truths of the mercies of God that are for me. He says, therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh on the cross. And since he is our great high priest, you see that? Since, therefore, because of the gospel, because of the mercies of God in Christ, now draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with water. He says, because of the mercies of God, now do this, have faith. See, the gospel of grace is not something you leave behind and say, well, that's what saved me. No, that is the fuel for continued faith and obedience throughout your life. It is the fuel, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the mercies of God that drive us to faith. He writes, therefore, to give us a summary of what he has said before in verses 19 through 21. Once again, it provides the fuel that drives faith to hope in God. So church, the first place we start in having that kind of faith that endures through hope in God is looking to the fuel. So what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that God has met your greatest need. See, you had a problem, and that problem was that you were separated from a holy God because of your sin. You were born that way. It's not just who you are, it's what you do. Through and through, you are a sinner separated from a holy God, and what you deserve, your greatest problem, is that there's a train coming called God's wrath and if you are lost in your sin, then you're going to absorb the wrath of God. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus took that cup of wrath for you. By living the perfect life that you couldn't live, giving you his righteousness, 
Dying in your place on a bloody cross for the forgiveness of your sins, being raised again to give you life, not just abundant life here, but eternal life. He did that for you. So in other words, in Hebrews, what he talks about all the time is perfection. The good news is that God has made a way for you and me to be perfect in his sight, to be justified before a holy God, to be right in right standing, to have righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. This is the good news, that your greatest need, church, and your greatest problem has been met and solved in Christ. There is no greater problem. There is no greater need. It has already been met. Because you have faith in Christ, by grace through faith you are saved, he now declares you righteous before himself. Church, this is good news. This is the fuel. He says, because of all of that, because of all that God is for you in Christ, now therefore have faith. Obey. Why? Because out of the overflow of the gospel in your heart, affection and love for God, you go, yes, <laughs> I want to believe. I want to follow. I want to obey. And then as you look at your circumstances and you lose heart, you raise your head and you raise your eyes and you see where your help is coming from. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your circumstances. It comes from God and his promises in the gospel. And you go, wow, God, help me not to lose heart again. Because my greatest need, my greatest problem has been met and solved in you. So now my eternity is secure. I am perfect before a holy God. So that when using the old evangelistic crusade language, if God invites you into his heaven, he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Then you said, because I have been washed. I have been cleansed. I have been saved. I have been made right. I have been declared righteous, not because of me and what I do, but because of Christ and what he's done on my behalf. Whew. This is the fuel. This is the fuel that drives faith. It's not, the fuel is not you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and saying, Kevin, just have more faith. Or telling your brother and sister in Christ, you just need to have more faith, brother. No, we need the gospel first and foremost. We need to be told over and over again, reminded over and over again of his mercies, of his grace, of his kindness in Christ. So church, what fuels you up? Where do you go for fuel? What kind of fuel are you using? These are good questions to ask. I know last year my, I had a truck that broke down and one of, it was a diesel truck and one of the mechanics said, well, moron, did you put regular gas or diesel in it? And I had to think, I went, oh, that's a good question. Uh, and I remembered, no, I put diesel in it. He didn't believe me. It was something else altogether different. But I had to think about it. How much am I fueling up? What kind of fuel am I using? Because guess what? My truck was sputtering and it needed the right fuel. See, the gospel is the right fuel. And we need to be fueling up on a regular basis. And how do we do that? We go, like I did about a month ago, I just began to put the gospels on again and I just began to listen to the gospels for four or five hours every single day. And boy, did I fuel up. Man, I was, whew, let's go. I was ready to run the race with endurance. Let's go. So what fuels you? Is it the mercy and kindness of God in Christ? Um, is it, are you, are, once again, to use different kind of language in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, are you trying to find life in broken wells and cisterns? Or are you trying to find life in him? Because you will sputter if you're fueling up on anything other than the, and than the gospel and God's word and his promises, his mercies. And you gotta do it on a regular basis, just like my truck, like your car. You gotta fuel up on a regular basis. God's word, prayer, all that good stuff. When you look above your sin and circumstances, 
when you raise your eyes above your sin and circumstances and you see that perfection and eternity are secured for you by the person and work of Christ on your behalf, then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's an old song that used to say that. I can't remember all the words. I think it's, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, for the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Right on? That's, that's what we're saying here. This is what Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is saying. So, look back to the fuel of your faith. That increases your faith, that builds your faith. Number two, to the anchor that grounds or secures your faith. Verse 23. Look at verse 23 with me. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For who is promised to be faithful? God. He is the anchor. He is the grounds. He is the one that secures your faith. You see, God is a promise keeper. What he has began in your faith, he will bring to completion. You see, you and who you are and what you do, you are not the anchor of your soul. You are not the ground or the anchor of your belief or faith. He is. Are you faithful? No, but he is. Can you trust anyone else's promises, even your own? No, but you can take his to the bank. You see, as we, if you lose heart, if you get discouraged, you look back to the gospel, but you also look back to God himself, the one who promised to save you. And if he promised to save you, if he promised to carry you to the end, you can bank on it. So as you lose heart, look back to the fuel and look back to the anchor. Once again, if you're in Christ, the good news is that you are perfect in the eyes of God. You're perfect. This is what we just talked about, the fuel. But how do you know for certain you'll stay there? How do you know for certain that you'll stay there? Because of the promises of God. God has promised to take you home. Even though the good news is great news, what makes your perfection before God even better is that it is secured by the promise of God who is always faithful to fulfill his promises. Paul said it like this, I lay hold of Christ. It's like this, I'm, I'm grabbing hold of the only one that can give me life and love, but specifically eternal life. I'm gonna hang on to him. I'm gonna lay hold of him, but not because of my strength. He says, I lay hold of Christ because he's laid hold of me. So guess what? You are not the one to keep you to the end. The good news is that God who is faithful and who promises, he's the one that holds you. And so, yes, do you lay hold of Christ? Yes, there's effort, absolutely. But it's because your dad has laid hold of you. He's the anchor. Church, what anchors your salvation is not you and your faithfulness. Once again, it is the historical reality, not fantasy, but the historical reality of Christ's death and the promise of God that whoever puts their faith in Christ for our salvation will be saved. That's Bible. You see, he is the anchor that grounds your faith. He provided the means by which you were saved, the fuel of his ongoing mercy to help you endure and the promise that what he began in you will be brought to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Another way to say it is, what are you building your faith on? What is anchoring your faith? Are you, are you depending on yourself to anchor your faith? Are you depending on others to anchor your faith? Or are you depending on God who is faithful you see, there's a lot of peace, a lot of encouragement that comes when you realize that, you know, God, you are perfect in all of your ways. You are faithful in all of your ways. 
and what you have promised, which is based on your character of perfection, I know that you can't lie. I know that what you have promised to do in me and to keep me, you will do. You see, this, folks, this has a, if you raise your eyes and look back to the gospel and look to the one who, who, who promised is faithful, the God and all of his promises, when you raise your head and look above your sin and circumstances, you see that perfection and eternity are promises secured for you, not only by the personal work of Christ, but also the faithful promises of God, then once again, going back to that old song, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what happened to me about a month ago as I was losing heart. God helped me to raise my eyes, to see the gospel, to see himself and his faithful promises to me secured by the gospel. And I, all the things that were clouding up my head, all the things that I were looking, they, they grew strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us to do, encouraging them to do. We also want to look back to the memories of past faith. Look at verses 32 through 36. He says, but recall the former days when you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Would you enjoy that? <laughs> Would that be joyful to you? Since you suffered all these things, do you see that? In verses 33 and 34, you, you did all these things, you suffered all these things joyfully. Why? Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When you are discouraged, when you are downtrodden, when you are losing heart and hope, and all you can see are the sin and the suffering around you. Raise your head, look to the gospel, look to God, but also remember memories of past faith. But church, first of all, let's be real here. The only reason you and I can recall any memories of past faith where we had victory over sin or our circumstances is because God gave us and empowered us to have the faith in those moments. So as you look back on past memories of faith that cause you to raise your head and look to God and, and the gospel, as you, as you do that, you begin to trace and see these little glimpses. We'll just say little glimpses of heaven, right? Little glimpses of God giving grace and his presence and encouraging you in your faith, building you up in your faith, you having victory. And as you trace those little moments, I don't know about you, but for me, that goes, wow. God, you, not only do you have a future for me, but you have shown me over and over and over again that I can trust you. You, you have shown me over and over again that I can have hope in you. I remember one moment in college um, where I was very discouraged, uh, questioned just about everything that was happening to me at that, at that time. Once again, Kevin has a way of getting in his head. So it was during a season where I was too much in my head. And uh, long story short is that God met me in that. And, and so college students, I don't recommend this, but I skipped all my classes th that day because I was so, he had lifted my head and I had seen the gospel and him his promises for me in Christ. And he had, once again, shown me memories of his of, of grace. But in that moment, more specifically, I felt his presence. And because I felt his presence, man, I, there's nothing I could, could have, I, even if I would have gone to psychology class, I wouldn't have heard a thing. 
because I was just so overjoyed with the fact that he loves me and that he's for me and that his presence was with me. And so when I look back, when I think about times like that, this is what Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get us to do. He said, recall, he says, Hebrew Christians, remember those days where you, were, you joyfully endured everything and it didn't matter because of your salvation, because of God and his promises. See, church, this will help us if we're discouraged, if we lose heart. Looking back, and looking back to memories of past faith, that's not looking back on memories of past sin. If you want to lose heart and get discouraged, just focus on your past sin. But don't, don't be a, we'll use a cheesy word, don't be a sin detective, right, of your past. Be a grace detective of your past. Look at, look at think about, recall all the times that God has shown himself faithful. And that he has built your faith. Look back at memories of past victory. This is what the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these folks to do. The fuel, the anchor, the memories. He's trying to get you and me and these people he's writing to, to raise their heads and to look. To see differently with the eyes of faith. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we also want to look to the definition of faith. We're almost done here. He's also encouraging us to look at the definition of faith. Chapter 11 begins with a definition of faith. It says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So faith is, that's definition. Here's your vocabulary word, faith is, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, assurance. Not, eh, maybe, no. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the end in mind, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their condemnation. That means they were saved. <laughs> that's what, it's, it's weird language, but it just means that's what saved them. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So the reason he does this, I think, is so the, the, the most important thing or first important thing to see here is that the power to sacrifice and love and joyfully accept the seizure of your property, which we saw in chapter 10, verse 34, is called faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That is, Faith is the confidence that you have a better possession and an abiding one. See, there's the link between the life of sacrificial love in chapter 10, verse 34, and the hall of faith, which we see in the rest of chapter 11. See, chapter 11 is a catalog of people who illustrate that this kind of faith, the assurance of things hoped for, believing with the end in mind, really makes a difference in this life. So, there's more than meets the eye at first with this definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, back in the day when, I, when God first saved me, the first Bible I got was a New King James Version. Okay? I didn't even know what that was. Do you know what the Bible was? I just knew that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's all I know. So, but when I memorized these two verses back in the day, back when I was a teenager, okay, let me give you some, a different verse, a different translation. Because these words of assurance and conviction are really hard to translate into English. So I think it's better. The new King James is better here. Now faith, this is what it says, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You see, the word substance and evidence are in fact very serious and important translations. In other words, what is the, rea what is the reality behind these two words and these two definitions of faith? It's, it's substance. The faith is 
is tangible. There's substance to it. It's also evidence that points to the ultimate reality that God exists, that he's a rewarder for, of those who earnestly seek him. See, your faith, in a sense, is substance and evidence. It is, it is proof. You know, so as we're thinking about this and we're kind of unpacking those definitions, this is not just merely academic stuff. I'm trying to skip over some things for, for sake of time. But just ask yourself this question. Do you have faith? How do you know you have faith? What is faith? What hangs on whether you have faith or not? We've already talked about the gospel, his promises, memories. You see, the question is immensely practical and relevant to your life. Sometimes in my fight for faith, because Paul calls it not just a race, but calls it a, a fight for faith, I just need to look back to the beginning. Sometimes I'm at a place of losing heart, I don't know if you are, where I go, I'm, I'm doubting, I'm doubting everything. God, do you even exist? Where are you in the middle of all of this? The reason the writer of Hebrews takes them back to 11 and to these definitions is to focus us back to, yes, God does exist. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And so then I go back to all of it again, the basics. He's taking them back to the basics. So if you're going to look back to the definition of faith, the writer's asking you, challenging you, to look back to the basics again. God exists. He loves you. He's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. You can trust him. So go back to the basics. And then the last point, looking to the witnesses of faith. Now, we're not going to, you're probably going great. We're not going to do all of chapter 11 here. But I do want to encourage you to read chapter 11 for yourself. If you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, 4 through 40, you need to read it. Okay? So I'm giving you some homework. See, this brings us back to full circle again because 4 through 40 lists witness after witness after witness of faith. And what I want you to see in chapter 11 are all the characteristics of these people of faith. See, these witnesses, they're watching us, not, not in a literal sense, not in a weird, hyper-spiritual sense, but we're surrounded by these witnesses of faith that are cheering us on saying, you can do it, you can do it. We did it. See how we did it in chapter 11? You can do it too. They are shouting out to us as we run the race of faith, it can be done, it can be done. Just a few examples of faith and perseverance. There's David who committed adultery and murder. He finished the race. There's John the Baptist who had a weird personality. Wore camel hair and ate locusts and honey, some weird dude out in the, the wilderness. He finished. Even though they cut his head off, he finished. There's John Mark, the quitter. He finished. There's Mary, the prostitute. She finished. There's missionary after missionary like William Carey. They finished. All these witnesses, Paul, Stephen, who was martyred, they finished. All these witnesses that are surrounding us as we're running this race with endurance, they're saying, they're saying to you and to me, it can be done. So we also need to look back to these witnesses. Since we're running that race and we're looking and believing with the end in mind, we're also looking up at the stands as they're cheering us on and they're saying it can be done. As we look at them and look at their characteristics and all that they've done because of grace and faith, we can then be encouraged and say, yes, if they can do it, I can too. This is what the writer of Hebrews is doing for us. Consider, therefore, because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses around us as we're running the race, lay aside every weight that keeps you from running, sin that keeps you from running, and keep pressing on. In closing, church, this is, <laughs> this is what happens when the gospel is preached and God grants the gift of faith 
lives are changed. They joyfully accept whatever because none of it matters. Nothing in this life matters outside of believing with the end in mind. See, it may be what's happening right now for many of you. The, the word of God is spoken. That bread is broken. And you're going, wow, that tastes good. The gospel's so good. It, not only does it save, but it sustains, it empowers, it feeds. It's like refreshing water. And I remember back in the day when I first heard the gospel and, and then I retrace memories of past faith and grace and, and God grants more bread, more water. And my sight is restored. The spiritual taste of my heart is awakened. Then you know that there is more here than just the mere opinion of man. Just like it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, you know that you have a better possession and an abiding one. So church, in summary... Faith is a kind of spiritual tasting, a kind of spiritual sight of what God has promised so that we feel a deep, substantial assurance of things hoped for. Faith is a kind of spiritual seeing of the invisible fingerprints of God and the things he has made. Psalm 34, 8 says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man. Blessed means happy. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Because God has saved you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin today, and he will save you from the presence of sin at the end. That's good news. So, keep fighting, press on, run the race with endurance, looking back to all the things we talked about today. All right, let's pray. So, Father, we just, we ask once again that what keeps going through my head is the story of the man who said, Lord, oh, I believe, help my unbelief. So, Father, I pray that you would help us increase our faith, help us to run the race with endurance for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.